my aunt died a couple of weeks ago. Like a lot of you, I've had to learn how to mourn during a pandemic. Some people have lost loved ones. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost even more than that. A couple months ago, I interviewed Jennifer Fondrave. We were part of the same Toastmasters club a couple years ago. She's a very wonderful person. She focuses on mergers and acquisitions and the people side of it and also helps companies, a lot of the more emotional aspects. We always kept in touch. She lost her mother this past March during the pandemic. She did a wonderful video about how do you mourn during a pandemic? We talked about that, well, what you'll see over the next hour. During that recording, I was not good with the audio learning and I did not get her full presentation. So I'm gonna play that for you now. This is Jennifer J. Fondreve, How Do You Mourn During a Pandemic? It is very wonderful, and I hope you watch not only this, but the full interview. If you enjoy what you hear here, hear here, hear here, please subscribe to the Laugh and Learn podcast. I'm also on YouTube. I'm currently doing a daily, week daily, political series. It's part being serious, part satire, and 100% just uh, positive. Try to keep the positive vibes going. Thank you for listening and thank you for watching. And here is Jennifer J. Fondreve on, on a mourn during a pandemic. And the audio should work this time. So, yay. Here we go. As my mom pulled her 1970 red AMC Gremlin to the side of the road, after hearing the distinct sound of a police car siren, one thought crossed my mind. Can you get arrested at 10 years old? This happened to my sister and me a lot when we went with our mom to work. She'd misjudge how long it took to get from one gig to the next, and inevitably we'd get pulled over by the cops for speeding. So what exactly did my mom do for a living, you ask, other than speed? From the 1960s through the 1990s, my mom modeled. She was known as Olivia. Yes, I have the distinct pleasure of having a fashion model mom. But let me be clear, a Chicago model back in the 1960s treated modeling like a job. She did the work, like catalog shoots and runway shows at department stores like Marshall Fields. She modeled to pay the mortgage. My mom divorced when I was 12. And though she'd been a teacher, she determined she'd make more money as a model to support us. Raising two kids already as a model was a bit of an exception, but more than that, she was an exceptional beauty. I have experienced that wonder and awe when you walk into a room and all conversation stops as people stare. In this case, at my mother. It didn't matter where we were, she just had that power. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, and my mom came once for career day. Listen, even the nuns knew we weren't all going to become nuns. And the nuns, the priests, my classmates were all transfixed by my mother. Girls in blue-gray uniform skirts and cardboard white shirts all listened raptly as my mom extolled the virtues of inner beauty, good posture, walking with grace, and getting a good education. So why do I share this with you? 
My mom passed away this past March after a 20-year battle with Parkinson's. And while all attention is diverted on the pandemic, I don't want her contributions to people on this planet to be forgotten. This is the first of three lessons she imparted on me that helped propel my career and those of many others. Look your best at every moment. Pay attention to what you wear. Throughout my career, after every interview, my mom would always call and ask, so what did you wear? And I'd describe everything from pantyhose up to earrings. And once she had a complete mental picture, she'd always say, I bet you made the right first impression. She knew that people do judge a book by its cover and that making that right first impression would be critical to everything that I did afterwards. But that wasn't the most important lesson. The most important was respect yourself and others will respect you. Really probably the most valuable advice of all in, in work, in life, in parenting, as a partner. Respect yourself and others will respect you. In my mom's view, if you didn't respect yourself, why would others? And I saw throughout my life that when I respected myself, others acted in kind. It's when I didn't that I got a like response. But then the third lesson, beyond executive presence, be present. I saw the power of presence when people dropped forks in restaurants as my mom walked by. As her daughter, she expected me to have presence. I got after school lessons in how to walk in high heels and how to read a room. But more important for her was that you be present as a person, as a friend, as a work colleague, that when someone was counting on you, you would be there. It taught me to be courageous at work, that when someone was counting on me, I would step forward. It's why I do the work that I do now. I used to think that my mom got out of speeding tickets because my sister and I were really good at acting sick on the side of the road. And then I thought it was because of her beauty. But later on, I realized it was because she didn't just rely on her looks. Hearing her explain to each police officer every time that she was speeding to the next gig to put food on the table for her kids was a life lesson I'll never forget. She taught me to appeal to the head and to the heart. How do you mourn someone during a pandemic? You know, I don't know, but I think you proclaim loudly and often the contributions that they made to the world. She was Olivia, to me, she was my mom, and I cherish the legacy she left. Thank you. Jennifer is an incredible speaker. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Afterwards, I give a... <laughs> Hold on. There we go. Little Sunday uh, service here. After the podcast, I give a brief post-eulogy of my aunt because I don't want her contributions to be lost to history either. She was such a wonderful woman. And I will always love her. And loss ebbs and flows. For me at first, it didn't seem real. But we'll talk about that. Enjoy Jennifer J. Fondervey. Jennifer Fondervey, welcome to Laugh and Learn with Vern. Good to see you. Thank you. Great to see you as well. We go back to Toastmasters. 
about two years ago I joined. I think you joined. Actually, no, I might have been two or three. You were what? About two years ago? We auditioned the same day. Remember? We did. You have a better memory so than me. At the same time. <laughs> Why did you join? Because I had a message I wanted to get out to the world and people had said, oh, you're such a great speaker. But I knew I was, I thought it was an okay speaker, but I wanted to get better. And I knew I needed feedback from really good speakers and Windy City Professional Speakers, the group that we belonged to was, was just the right group for me. And I remember, cause I auditioned after you, I thought, holy cow, I hope I get in. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if there's a cutoff, if they only allow one of the three people auditioning today. And I was like, oh, I have to come back. <laughs> I was trying to hope I wouldn't get too red on this podcast, but uh, I think I already <laughs> exceeded the color limit for the computer, so that's okay. Why? Well, that's very, very flattering for you to say. We talked earlier, and you know, one of the things I noticed about you is you're always so put together, and you had this presence where a lot of speakers, you could tell they were working their way through it. Whereas for you, it seemed like the minute you got there, you were like, this stage is mine and I'm gonna own it. Where does that come from? Oh, well, thank you for saying that. Um, well, as you know, as, as we talked about it, I grew up with that mantra. My mom was a fashion model in the 60s and um, I was your typical um, pudgy little kid. My nickname in fourth grade was Miss Piggy. And I just remember my mom, who was, all, who was actually very good about it, like never was, um, you know, making me feel bad about that, but just said, it, you know, don't worry, sweetie, you'll, there will become a point where, where people will show you respect, but you have to you have to, to show that you respect yourself. And part of that starts with paying attention to how you present yourself. And so that just stuck with me. And because she was a model, uh, you know, I saw a lot of fashion shows and it, it just made me realize that people react to you when you carry yourself with a certain, with a certain grace and respect for yourself. Um, and it's not, it shouldn't be forced. It should, you should genuinely feel that. And um, I benefited from getting that advice from my mom at an early age. You started, when well, you're talking about your mom, the reason I reached out to you is because you gave this very lovingly tribute to your mom on, on LinkedIn. And it was something that resonated with me because I'm a mama's boy. And even <laughs> just, I, I mean, I, my dad and I, we get along really well, but growing up, my dad was the one who can't, he, my mom stayed home, she worked part-time. So my dad would come home, we'd have dinner, but during the day, my mom would be like, let's go get sport cards. Or, you know, she was the one who'd take us shopping and my dad would be like, why'd you buy all this stuff? And, you know, she was, oh, it's fine. You know, that, that was my mom. And uh, she got cancer when I was 10 and she, uh, she beat it, thank goodness. But, you know, it's one of those things that you just, I guess it just kind of hit home and um, it was just very, uh, very sweet and everything you did. And you, uh, so you started with a post and then you ended up making a video, which we're going to watch in a little bit. How did you end up deciding to make that video? Well, I made, I would say the, the post just came naturally to me. I, and I will, I will say, so my mom passed away in March uh, of this year, 2020. 
uh, but she'd been battling Parkinson's for 20 years. And I, the first version of that post that I wrote talked about her struggle with Parkinson's and, you know, just the battle and the courage of all of that. And then I read it and I thought, that's not the version of my mom I want to share with people. I want to share the version of my mom that made me who I am, you know, the person who you saw at, at the Wyndham City. And that version of my mom was the fashion model version who was so encouraging by how she led her life. And the lessons that she passed on to me are what I captured in that um, tribute that I wrote to her. And what what was fascinating to me is that, as you know, through unfortunately the pandemic, you haven't been able to have funerals. Um, we're hoping to have the funeral for my mom in October. And I, I felt a need to pay tribute to her. And uh, a couple of people wrote on that LinkedIn post, they said, you have figured out a way to grieve without gathering because the reactions of people were, were just so wonderful. Um, it really helped me and, and my heart goes out to, to um, anyone right now who's lost a loved one because it is, it is tough, right? The typical milestone that you would have for that moment to say goodbye to someone you just been, haven't been able to have. And then in August, um, the Ignite Chicago team um, reached out and said, oh, I have to say I was still kind of in shock and grieving, but I thought, you know, as a speaker, get back up on the horse, as, as we've said to each other. And yeah, I thought, yeah. why, not, why not use those five minutes to just um, pay tribute to my mom? I've written about her. And in that written tribute, I said, how do you mourn during a pandemic? And my thought was, you honor that person by talking about them, by sharing with people the contributions that they made to you and to others. And I thought, I've done it in the written word. Now I should talk about her. And so that was, that was really my motivation for doing it. Um, but I might have to tell you, Eric, I uh, halfway through, you know, doing it, I was like, why the hell did I do this to myself? Like, cause it was grieving her all over again. I was like, yeah. you are an idiot. <laughs> like, what you did this to yourself no one told you you had to do this. I'm very glad I did it, but it was, uh, it was harder than I expected it to be. For those that are not familiar, what is Ignite Chicago? So Ignite Chicago, uh, Petra Kucha is a, a format for speaking. And you get five minutes, 20 slides, 15 seconds a slide. Okay. And you can, you can do 20 different slides. You can have one slide that's the same throughout, but you get five minutes. And it forces you as a speaker to be very precise and concise but it's a great, uh, I think, a great test for a speaker to, to really know what you want to say and, and present it in a way that you, you convey your message in a short period of time. And so, uh, you know, I even said jokingly when I shared that I was going to be doing that Ignite session, I said, I'm taking a lifetime of lessons and cramming it into five minutes. And um, I, I, just got I got it in I think I had like yeah. five minutes and five seconds to spare you were literally right there you know it's funny you mentioned you know like the the extra project because when you want to become a better speaker everything you do is essentially an extra project right there's yes. a lot of 
Yeah. So I like the fact that you're such a perfectionist and you've learned to be so detail oriented that you, instead of just doing a five to 10, 15 minute video, you decided to make it as difficult as humanly possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, unfortunately the, the second part of my life, I've, I've just jumped in without thinking. <laughs> and that's that, you know, that that means I've become, uh, you know, an entrepreneur when I never expected to be. I wrote a book when I never expected to. And it means, you know, I forced myself to do an Ignite presentation <laughs> when I probably shouldn't. But that's that's a great lesson, right? If you want to force yourself to do something, just jump in and you'll eventually you'll figure it out. Don't jump into the deep end if you don't know how to swim. But in every other instance, jump right in and see what happens. Because even if you even if something goes wrong, you're still going to learn something. Like we've all given speeches where, you know, you get up there and you think everything's going to go your way. And then you start talking kind of what you said earlier that, you know, you got halfway through and you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I would say, um, you know, I mean, obviously too, when you know you're giving an emotional speech, um, it takes extra discipline to just not, lose it and uh, you know as you said I've, I've i have prided myself again thanks to lessons from my mom right you you in as part of presenting uh yourself well right you want to be able to to hold things together and uh you know i was just thankful in my tribute that i did well up until the very last slide and then after that i was like okay well at least I'm, I'm almost done. I'll get it right in. But that's what brought it home. That, that, but you know what? I don't want to spoil it. Are you, ready? Are you ready to watch it? Sure. I, I've actually, I, this is, I'm going to uh, embarrass myself. I've watched the video afterwards and I tend not to because I hate, I hate watching my performance afterwards but I've watched it a couple of times and every time I cry it again and I'm like oh my god I've just got to stop doing this to myself this is just not healthy but I think I'm okay now all right we'll give it a shot either way here we go I'm gonna share the screen there we go there you are and let's uh let's roll
How's that feel? You know, I, um, I, I, I was proud of it. I'm, I'm still really so glad I did that. And in fact, um, Ali Karbasi, who um, runs Ignite Chicago, um, I suggested to him because there was another woman who also just coincidentally did a tribute. Uh, a little, uh, hers was. Um, multiple stories but it included a tribute to her mom 
And I said, man, it would be great. We should host an event where people just get to pay tribute to someone who they lost, um, you know, in the last six months. I, I'm, I'm just enormously um, thankful that I had, um, I don't know, the bandwidth, the brain width to, to do it and then to just follow through because I'm, I'm proud of, of telling that story um, and, and sharing. You know, I feel like so much, I, I don't know, I feel like the, oftentimes, whether it's Hollywood or TV shows, they focus on the bad dynamics between mothers and daughters and family and it's like drama and all of that. And God knows I had my fair share of that as well, but I have enormous gratitude for what my mom passed on to me. Um, you know, I, I, I've had a couple of people say, wow, you know, your mom was so beautiful. How did that feel? And I was like, all I could think about was like, you know what? I just hope I've got her genes. Like <laughs> that was my hope. Like there wasn't jealousy. It was more just like, man, I, I hope that, you know, uh, as I get older, I've got her genes because then maybe I got a shot, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was less about, you know, I hate my mom and more about, I just have enormous respect for her and, and, and what she did. And I'm thankful. What was your favorite slide of that whole deck? You know, it's, I mean, it's hard to choose. Um, I love the slide. Um, it's actually the slide where I talk about the fact that um, when I was 12, she divorced and she's got glasses on and they're see-through, so they're, you know, transparent, and, and she looks just, you know, she looks straight out of California, just happy. Um, she's probably in her late 20s, early 30s, so she'd had, she'd had me, she'd had my sister, and yet she just still looked, you know, vibrant and, and full of life, and not to say that she didn't later on, but I call it her Morgan Fairchild picture. The one at the end where it's like that amount of hair. Mm -hmm. Like the, yeah. the lion from the Wizard of Oz, you know. And <laughs> everyone's like, wow, you know, your mom is stunning. And I was like, well, that was her FU shot. Because that was actually at the end of her modeling career. And she wanted to prove to um, booking agents, listen, I still got it. <laughs> so she took that picture. And I was like, anyone who doubted if you could still model mom, clearly clearly was wrong um the end that, of her career yeah yeah yep wow that was uh i think she you know i think she may have mumbled a couple more years afterwards but that was more that that shot was her just like well screw you if you think i'm i still don't have what it takes <laughs> so uh but my favorite shot is um the one with her sunglasses on and then obviously the picture at the end um where my sister and i are are sitting with her and my sister is in her arms and we're looking up at the sky. That, uh, I remember that. I remember distinctly that, um, that photo shoot. I wanna go back to, I kinda wanna walk through it a little bit. So you start with this, this great imagery, right? The, you're getting pulled over by the police and the first thing you think is, oh my gosh, can a 10 year old get arrested? Because who knows, right? Can you t walk us through one of those stories that you like vividly remember? Because you talk about getting, you and your sister faking sick and you know your mom you know always having i mean it sounds like she's just honest like do you remember any of those specific moments oh absolutely and my uncle my uncle um who saw the tribute said 
oh my God, I used to do that for her when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> so I was apparently my mom had a, had a decades long version of speeding. Um, but in my case, so we lived uh, in Northbrook and my mom would do, so for folks who were watching this in the Chicago area, um, we lived in Northbrook, a northern um, suburb of Chicago, and she would work at Old Orchard. She would do a fashion show in Old Orchard, and my yeah. sister and I, particularly on the weekends, she'd drag us along. And she would inevitably then book also a show to do downtown in Chicago. So we'd do the Marshall Fields in Old Orchard, and then she'd, my mom was a talker, so after the show would be done, she'd talk with the the fashion director and the people in the audience and whatever we will always leave there late and my sister and i would be like we gotta go we gotta go like, what, what? even i knew as a young age yeah. i was like mom we are gonna be late <laughs> what, what are those what what's a fashion show in the 60s and 70s at old orchard like i mean I, you know we the only ones we really see now are like the you know like the gucci know, or like the you know what what was it like to old orchard yeah, so um, Mar all the department stores, so Carson Peary Scott, Lord and Taylor, Marshall Fields would have fashion shows in, in the department store. So they would literally mark off a section of the store, um, typically, obviously, in the women's department, and you'd have a runway. And inevitably, you'd have five, six models. Um, the shows would usually last about 30, 40 minutes and they would walk out with the latest looks for the season and it was a great way for the department stores to obviously um give an experience to women who might want to buy something i mean those fashion shows really helped um encourage sales uh they i i don't know how many my mom did but i just remember so many weekends going to those and i sit in the back and sometimes I'd help the women get dressed and zip them up right before they went out. And it was, it was, you know, it was, it was the height of, of retail, right? Where people were going to stores and they would look forward to these fashion shows. And so my mom though would misjudge how long it took to get from old orchard <laughs> to downtown Chicago. We've all uh, been there. Traffic and you know running up parking her car sure all yeah. of that um a lesson that i didn't get into in the tribute because i didn't have time but she also taught me i think she knew every doorman in the city of chicago so when we would go to marshall fields she knew the the doorman um, at Water Tower, you know, you had the, the Ritz-Carlton, the Four Seasons. I think you had the Holiday Inn. I mean, every hotel, because at least she knew, okay, I'm going to probably run late. I need to give my car to somebody. Yeah. She'd, she'd tip a doorman, and he'd say, don't worry, missus. You know, we'll hold on to your car, and, um, and she'd run up to the show. And she, would, uh, she knew all of their names would make sure that, you know, even around the holidays that we would um, visit them. And that, that actually, I would have to say, was equally uh, a lesson learned. She never took that stuff for granted. And she, she had relationships with all of those doormen. I mean, it was, 
I'm thankful because we would have also had parking tickets. <laughs> added to the speeding tickets if she hadn't so and then then i'm not sure if we'd have had any money left afterwards so it was a good thing you're going you're so your mom she's so she knows she's got okay so then in her head she's like all right well i know where i'm going i know there's you know frank is there i can give him this so even if i'm running late so then everything's going right she's probably like okay i'm gonna make it just in time because that's what we all think we're running late right we're like yeah. if i just make every you know if i make every stoplight and there's no traffic and there's no accident, especially on like 90 or 94, right? You're like, what? yeah, as long as there's no accidents, I'll be fine. And then, you know, so then obviously you get pulled over. So how does this work? So my, my sister and I, uh, and she and I were trying to remember who had to do it most, but my mom would turn around you know, before the cop would come up and say, you have to act sick. Act like one of you is sick, right? And my sister would say, I don't want to act sick. And I'd be like, oh dear God, right? So I know my sister and I both did it at one point and my mom would say, and you gotta get, get outside the car. And we had a gremlin, an AMC gremlin, as I showed oh, yeah. in that tribute, right? And this, this car that barely held it together. And so we'd, <laughs> we'd slide, one of us would slide out, you know, and, and act like we felt like we were sick and throwing up on the side of the road. Now my sister's gone on, um, to an acting career in LA. So I'm, I, I'm gonna say that it all started with her acting sick on the side of the road, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just remember thinking, dear God, when, when are we ever gonna be able to go to one of these shows where we don't get pulled over by the cops? Now, when you're faking sick, are you literally like head out the, are you literally like, like fake throwing up? Or is it like, yeah, is well, like, no way. Yeah. Uh, I, I could not do that. I was not good, nor was, you know, at the time my sister. So we would, we would, and she would say, well, go out, you know, and then she'd come around and, and yeah. we'd act like we had a upset stomach and, and, you know, the officer typically, thankfully would be very sympathetic and say, you know, is your daughter okay? <laughs> or my mom, you know, my mom would be, Oh, she's okay. You know, she just has tummy problems. And yeah. um, one time the officer was willing to escort us to, I think it was Rush at the time. And I was like, no, no, that's okay. She's not that <laughs> sick. Yeah. Don't even go to the hospital. We're all good. Um, thank you, officer. And, and um, you know, it just, yeah. I mean, you, you do that enough times as a kid and you just, it's an, it's an imprint. And um, but fortunately, I took away the right lessons, which is okay. Don't speed so that you have to act sick on the side of the road. Yeah. But uh, you know, the the lesson that I took from it is the one that I shared. She, um, you know, she didn't. She talked to the officers. I mean, she made it clear that um, she was just trying to to get us somewhere. And um, you know, because ultimately, even though we were acting sick on the side of the road. Uh, you know, not every officer fell for that. <laughs> so she would ultimately say, listen, I'm just trying to get to my job. You've mentioned, so you, you got a good lesson from that. And I think this is one of the sub lessons, but you also talked about how she taught you growing up. You had these lessons after school where you had to learn how to walk in high heels and, and how to read a room. How do you read a room? Because I, now that when you said that, from watching you speak, yeah, you know, I want to hear what you say because I, I think I've seen you do this, but I don't know if I'm right. Well, I think, 
And what my worry is, um, because that could be, that can be interpreted as, oh, you know, I'm just going to gauge how people are and then I'm going to change what I'm about to say based on how, you know, people are thinking. What she impressed on me is be sensitive to how people are feeling when you are presenting and you can pick up on cues when you walk in. And that can be everything from where people sit, um, how they might make eye contact with each other and with you or they don't. Um, whether they offer, uh, you know, hey, can I get you water or don't say anything to you? Uh, there's a lot of cues that you can pick up. And I uh, particularly because I worked in advertising for 15 years, I was part of a lot of pitches, whether it was for new business or selling campaigns. And before you do a lot of work on a campaign, but you go into a client meeting and they could have had a really bad day. And you have no idea what they've just faced. So you're all excited about your campaign. But if you are clueless to what they may have faced right before they walk into that room, it doesn't matter if you have the best ad campaign ever. They're, they're going to be tuning it out because they're thinking about either the person who just yelled at them, numbers that they haven't hit, you know, bad I don't know, bad distribution on a product, whatever it might be. And so it was invaluable, that lesson in particular, because it taught me that your hard work is only half, half the battle. You have to equally be sensitive to the people who you are speaking to. And I, I remember in particular, there was a, a couple of instances where I could just tell something was off and I would say, because um, I was the account director, um, you know, for the 15 years, I, I could tell and I would be able to say to a client, is this the right time? I, I want to make sure that we're, we're sharing this with you when, you when you feel like this is the right moment. And, and I inevitably, every time a client would say, thank you for asking. I really appreciate that. We're good. Or, yeah, do you mind if we can do this? Because my creative team would equally be thankful. Right? They don't want to present to somebody who's just not ready yeah. or has other things going on. So um, reading a room is really being tuned into the other person. Like all of the lessons that I shared all link to each other. Uh, you know, being present and having executive presence are tied together because I can have presence, but that doesn't matter if I'm not present in the moment for the other person. And that's what she wanted to impress on me. It's not just how you look but it's how you, how you engage with that other person. Because how you look won't matter if they're not engaging back. And if you aren't sensitive enough to that, then, then you won't be successful. Um, and that, that served me uh, immensely throughout. And as a speaker, to your point, right, you have to, you have to be in tune with the audience. It, it helps you be a better speaker. How have you been able to use those skills with how everything's on Zoom now? Has it been a tougher transition? Like, how do you, you know, have you more of an issue reading an audience or reading a room when you have this kind of disconnect where it's over the internet instead of in person? Or have you found ways to be able to read people? Because, I mean, now people have to pitch over Zoom. It's not as easy right. as being able to walk in. Well, you know, it's absolutely, it is much harder. Uh, and I, I would say at the beginning, of the pandemic, I thought, 
okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to wait till we can all be in person again. Well, we all do, right? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who knows <laughs> Couple if that's going to happen? Right? Yeah. End of summer, we'll be fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's because I enjoyed the reason I am a speaker and not just a consultant or an author is I love being in front of people to have that connection, to have that engagement, to hear, hear what they have to say and what they think and what they're facing. You know, it, as an author, it's a one-way dialogue. And you can now more than ever, you can through reviews and particularly when you're out promoting your book. But for the most part, it's one way. And, and I became a speaker because I love the, the two-way aspect of it. It is much harder in a virtual world. But I have found when you are passionate about a topic and you, you craft, and this is where, again, I think our um, being part of Windy City Professional Speakers has been enormously helpful, you can create an experience as a speaker. So even if you are virtual, whether it's through the chat box or pausing and getting engagement from your audience or having a handout that people do in conjunction with you speaking, there are ways still to involve people so that they're part of the presentation. Because uh, I have to say, I've actually um, either turned down keynotes or have said, rather than me just speaking to a camera for 45 minutes, let's make this a dialogue. Like here's ways that we can make this interactive, whether it's polling or handouts or chat box or whatever, there's a multitude of ways to, to use virtual presenting um, that allow you to have, frankly, I've realized it's allowed me to have even greater dialogue um, than before as a speaker because I'm forcing it now more throughout the speech as opposed to you know, your traditional Q&A towards the end. And, and it's that, um, you know, when people can feel as though they can reach out to the speaker as part of the discussion, it, it makes for a lot more um, robust conversation. So I've actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but I would absolutely confess at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is going to be miserable. Because I mean, you're, you're speaking to a green dot, you know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, I just thought that is so not appealing, but I've, I've, I've come to realize it's, it's what you bring to that experience is, is what you get out of it. I want to go through those, the three lessons that we talked about, or that you talked about, excuse me. Uh, we have talked about them though, because obviously we reached out and I'm like, hey, this speech is amazing. First one was look your best at every moment. Can you give some examples of when, I know you said it has worked for you, right? And you described, you, you did a great job of describing I can imagine like your mom on the other end of the phone. You're, you're a very visual, visual speaker. And you can just, I think a lot of people can see that. Like they imagine like talking to their mother. I think that's, it's very relatable, right? You're talking to one of your parents after those, you know, the, the big moments in your young life, right? And you're on the phone and, and they're like, what did you wear? And then, you know, what did she always say at the end? <laughs> and and what she always said, I bet you made the right first impression. And uh, you know, it was just funny. Um, and I, I included this in the, in the LinkedIn tribute. Um, I didn't, I didn't, uh, in the, the presentation, but my graduate school friends would just howl with laughter because they could always tell when I was talking to my mom and my dad on the phone, because my dad was in international sales and he would just grill me, you know, what were the questions that they asked and what did you answer? Yeah. And then he would tell me whether he thought I got the job or not. And then my mom would come on and, um, or excuse me, and then I would talk to my mom. They were divorced at that point. 
how and, accurate how, how accurate was he um actually uh i i would almost uh consistently be the same as his assessment i would say yeah i don't think i did as well or um there was as we all know right there's some interviews where you you feel confident and then other yeah. the ones you don't the funny sure. thing sometimes i i thought i nailed it and i didn't get it and then other times where um I, I was surprised that uh, I was offered the job. And my mom would always say, it's because I'm sure you looked good. <laughs> but what I want to emphasize with that is that wasn't the most important lesson. Her comment always was repeatedly, it's just that first impression allows you to do so much more afterwards. So, yeah. so pay attention to how you present in that. And that's not to say that you know how you look is everything because for her it was more important she equally would always say yeah your dad's right i mean even though they were divorced uh, they they still had uh, respect for one another and i, I just i, I want to emphasize that because i feel like so much is put on presentation but that's not the only thing but it helped me because then after that they thought okay this is someone um who pays attention right to detail yeah. Sure. And as you and I both know, in the working world, right, you, you need to make that impression quickly. If you're someone who demonstrates right off the bat that you pay attention to detail, uh, the person interviewing you comes to you with a different impression already because they're thinking, ah, okay, this is someone of merit. I, if you show up slovenly or you know, pantyhose ripped or odd earrings or whatever, uh, and when I say odd earrings, being mismatched, yeah. Um, you know, it's just, if you're not paying attention, then that, that's, um, a quick impression that someone might take that you will, if you can't do it for yourself, why, how, how do I believe you're going to do it on the job? For the army, they've said, if you walk into a trial and you are not, your uniform is not pristine, everything exactly where it needs to be clean shaven, yeah. hair perfect the entire time they will just stare at you and they will not pay attention to anything you're saying. And they will just wonder why did this person not get this yes. right to literally they they're like, don't even bother showing up. If your boots are not perfectly shined, everything is not starched. Everything is perfect. Now I think that's a little more of an extreme point, but to what you were saying, yeah, you want to, you know, it's the idea of making a good impression. What kind of, so you have this great, you have this background, right? You grew up in the fashion world, you know, then, and not just like, not like the, you know, way around the world fashion world. You grew up in like the Chicago suburb, Chicago fashion world. What are some things that you picked up on growing up and even now that are some easy ways for people to look their best um, no matter what? Because like you said, it's not, it's not always about like looking perfect. You don't have to be like in this like amazing shape, but like what are some, uh, some like maybe like tips and tricks for people that if they have an interview or something going on, like some easy, like easy ways to do it? Well, and, and, and it is, um, I'm glad you asked that because I feel like a, a possible impression could be, well, I got to spend a million bucks to look like a million bucks. And nowadays you, you have so many options and opportunities and it's the small things that count. I, 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 I made a joke, right? The having earrings that match, uh, an outfit where it looks like you put thought and consideration into it. And it doesn't have to be glamorous expensive it all people 
aren't going to look at the label. They're going to look at what care you put into your outfit. So I, I feel like it's not as though you've got to have the necklace with bling. You don't want things that are distracting. It's simply a demonstration that you have put thought into how you want to be seen as a person across the desk or across the table from the person who's interviewing you. So for me, the, the important point about that is, it, it, you know, I, I shop regularly at TJ Maxx, right? Uh, for me, yeah. it's about the, the little extra thing. I used to get teased all the time. Fondreve, you always have a scarf on. And, you know, half the scarves I wear are things I picked up at TJ Maxx or old hand-me-downs for my grandmother, right? And that and a brooch and it just, it, the really the important point is it's just how you carry what you're wearing. It's paying attention to that. And then it doesn't matter where you get the clothing, the accessories, the belt, the earrings. Well, that was kind of, that kind of transitions good into, so you, you, you look the part and you feel confident and then you want to respect yourself, right? Cause that was lesson number two was what respect yourself or other people won't respect you. Right. Absolutely. Now, for you, you mentioned and you said there were, you know, respect yourself or other people won't respect you. And then you also had this kind of casual line where you're like, anytime I didn't, I felt, I, I, it kind of, I don't know if you said I felt it or something happened. Can you give an example of some time when like you just, I guess when that was a, when that happened, when you like weren't totally there and then it kind of came back to you? Well, I used to, um, I worked on Coors Beer. Uh, and for a while, I was the only female uh, on the uh, account side. And I remember thinking, holy cow, what am I doing here, right? I was working all with beer guys. Um, what, both, what is a beer guy like? Are we talking 80s, 90s? When are we, when are we, when are we talking beer? This is this 90s beer 90s. guys. So this is like right. when, when the Budweiser Penguins are doing their thing? Right, uh, Budweiser, you had the Clydesdales always. Uh, yeah. You um, you know, Dr. Galakowitz, you know, Yes I Am, you had that, you know, What's Up? That was that era <laughs> what, of yeah, the Budweiser. Okay, yeah. yep. So they were, they were clearly number one, but Coors Light and Miller Light were vying for number two. Um, I worked on, before I worked on Coors uh, Light, I worked on Keystone Beer, which is your boy, uh, a college boy beer, right? Yeah, I've and... had a couple. <laughs> <laughs> so the campaign Never uh, Bitter Beer, that was, you know, I, uh, I get to have credit for that. You were, wait, you were one of the, wait, Bitter Beer Face? Is that the same yep. one or no? Yep. You yep. were the no, you were the Bitter Beer Face? Yep. Wow. Matt, Matt Reinhardt and Tom O'Keefe, who now own their own ad agency, were the two creative guys that, uh, that I worked with. And uh, it, it made Keystone number one for college beer. Thank you. How did, okay. We got to, well, at some point we got to talk about how you, how you, that pitch, because that's like a world, that's a world famous. The bitter beer face. Never, never bitter beer. Yeah. Okay. So wherever you want to go with this, anything Actually, it's a perfect, that Keystone campaign is a perfect example because I felt like a fish. I actually, I asked the guy who hired me. I was like, why did you hire me? Like, what am I doing here? Like, I thought it was cool, but then I yeah. thought, I don't have beer experience. Um, and he said, Fondreve. And that, you know, I think all the guys would just call me by my last name. Um, he said, we hired you because you aren't like us. You, you come at this with consumer packaged goods, 
problem solution experience, right? That's what we're looking for because we'll just, you know, beer advertising in the past was just kind of formulaic and we want to be able to demonstrate what you are really good at is like, what's the problem we're solving for? And yeah. so that's, that was part of the genesis of Never Bitter Beer because in research, it came out that Keystone tended to be a more bitter, uh, excuse me, that, that college beers tended to be more bitter, but Keystone was the less bitter of all of those cheaper beers that you could get. And so um, our, our creative guys who were awesome came up with Keystone Never Bitter Beer and um, we had a ton of fun. But I highlight that as an example because I definitely suffered from imposter syndrome. I was thinking, what do I have to contribute? And, um, you know, thankfully I had really good uh, bosses who, who said it's, it's because you aren't like us that we wanted to have you on this account because we think you can bring something new and different to this. And it just was a reminder to me you have to respect what you bring to the party. Don't try and be like everyone else. You know, respect what you have to offer and and demonstrate that. And and so um, it was a good lesson. And again, a reminder of what my mom had told me to be mindful of from the beginning. What's a what's one of your favorite wins that you can remember from a time when you've just owned the room, when you've just walked in and you're like, I'm just gonna crush this, and then you did. You know, um, I, I would have to say that Keystone campaign was a ton yeah. of fun. Um, Keystone prior to that had been doing okay. Uh, but you know, I think it was number three or number four and, uh, coming up with that campaign, never bitter beer. Yeah. And then, and then we had, we just, we had, we had fun with it right? You had the, the yeah. faces that people make and then we oh, had yeah. a radio campaign with it. And it was one of those moments where the client, uh, I could just see as we were presenting, he was thinking, this is awesome. Like, this is going to be great. And it was one of those where I was thankful we were kind of under the radar because so much attention was uh, at the time on Coors Light. And so Keystone um, we were just able to do a ton of things with it, and um, and that campaign really helped uh, helped establish, frankly, my credibility at the ad agency where I was working at. So it um, it was a good feeling. But I honestly, until you asked me, Eric, I have not thought of that of that moment um, in a long time. So it's a it's a good memory. Well, good, and I'm glad that you don't uh, think of Keystone often because hopefully everyone over the age of like 19 doesn't. Not that Keystone is a bad beer, but you know we're we're more refined these days. Is that is that the word? Yes, we'd like to think. Exactly. Uh, before we get to the third lesson, I want to go back to the video. I'm not going to play the audio, but I want to walk through a couple of the pictures and just kind of get your get your um, get like a little behind the scenes. What's going on here? So I'm gonna. Okay. Flip this, and then we'll share a screen. I think this is it, right? An error occurred. All right, I'll search for you again. There we go. You're in my search history. I hope you don't think that's too weird. <laughs> it, was it, was, it was research, honestly. Well, unfortunately, I know why. So, okay, so we got the, this gremlin here. 
my question for you, did every family in the 1960s and 70s in the middle class in uh, Illinois have a gremlin? Is that how that worked? Because my mom had a gremlin, my dad's family had, is that just like, what it was like, there was like a random Chevy on the road surrounded by gremlins. Is that right. kind of how that worked? It was the gremlin or the pacer. <laughs> gremlin. What was the pacer? Remember the pacer? That's the one that had the big wide body back. That okay. Both by AMC. Okay. Both very ugly cars. Yeah. So a famous story of my family is uh, my uncle borrowed my parents or my grandparents gremlin and they came home and he had parked it on the side of the road. Like it was where, where like the passenger side was against the curb, but the whole passenger side of the car was like, uh, he had huge, like, it was like wrecked. And they came home and they're like, what happened to the car? And he's like, I don't know. And uh, he, yeah, he, he he passed away about 10 years ago he denied it to the grave he literally like he never he goes nah i don't know i don't know i don't know what happened he always denied it uh he was a hoop so then here we go we got uh this picture what is this picture right here so you and your mom yeah so uh this is actually the same photo shoot where the picture at the end with my sister uh and my mom and and me on that little balcony in the, you know, what looks to be kind of a, an apartment complex. Yeah. This is that same day. Uh, what I remember about this in particular is I have no clue how to knit. And I remember saying to my mom <laughs> and the photographer, I don't know how to knit. And my yeah. mom said, well, just act like you can knit. And I said, I can't act like I can knit because I don't know how to knit. <laughs> yeah. Sure, that's, yeah. That's and my mom just kept repeating, just hold it, you know, and look at it and, and act like you can knit. And I was like, what's this acting of which you speak, mother? I have no, you know, I have no clue, but. Um, it was the wrong, she was using the wrong fun. daughter. And uh, I just remember that and the fact that that robe that I'm wearing was really yeah. itchy. So, <laughs> but it's just funny because I have no clue how to knit. And yet I'm, I don't even know why he gave us knitting like what what my mom would be doing behind me that's just, this is very faux photography <laughs> yeah i could not understand this picture and it's funny if you were to ask me like of the 10 things i thought you were doing in this picture knitting was probably like 87 i had no idea yeah and it, let's go okay this is i think this is one of my favorite ones we got we have like the three different uh three different shots of your mom so are these all are these all modeling pictures is this like her yeah. in action yep Okay. All different, all different. Um, and these were, these were probably all 70s. Shots in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. I like yeah. this one where she's looking. You think, is she about to realize she's got to run to another place? So that is going yes. on there? <laughs> yeah. The one in the middle. Oh, I'm late. And we go here or we'll go back. Was this from Inception? Is that the Inception scene where uh, he, uh, he says the word and everything stops? Is that what it is? You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's from Inception. I wanted to have a picture, and it was hard to find a picture, particularly a picture yeah. in a restaurant where everyone just stops and stares. Because um, I, I have yeah. truly had that experience when I would be with my mom, and I thought I have to. I have to find a visual that shows what that looks like. What is that like? What was that like? I think I only became attuned to it when I was older. Uh, when I was younger, I, I was definitely not paying attention to people staring. Um, but 
as we got older and we would go to restaurants, um, I would just realize over time, like people are staring at us. And then I realized they're staring at my mother. Um, and, and frankly, actually, um, it, it was true. I think I included in the tribute. I'm not sure if I had it in the, uh, um, in the Ignite speech, but she was, she couldn't see, um, I I never remember if it's short-sighted or or near-sighted, but she couldn't actually see people close to her. And so- Far-sighted, that's far-sighted, yep. Yeah, she would have no clue that people were stopping and staring, just no clue. And so it gets to the table, I'd be like, mom, you know, the whole entire restaurant is looking at you. And she'd be like, oh, they're not, stop it, stop it. You know, pick what you're gonna eat. And um, so anyway, it, it, I think that it kept it from going to her head because she would be unaware of it. She literally couldn't see it. Oh, that's too funny. All right, so then we got to get to the famous, the infamous girls' school shot. So we got, are you, <laughs> are you in the middle here or no? No, no. Okay. I just wanted to, I wanted to show a picture of girls walking with books on their heads. No, um, I'm in the shots on the left and right. I so think what, I put what, a little circle around who I am. Okay, so what's what's going on here? Is this just uh, you, are you with friends? Are you just just kind of random yeah. pictures? These are uh, this is Marion Heights Academy, okay. uh, an all girls high school in Southern Indiana, and uh, the one on the left is math class, and the picture on the right I think is right before or after homeroom, and uh, I think the one on the right were we're seniors, we're gonna be graduating soon. So we're very excited. <laughs> A senior of high school, wow. You look so yeah. young. Okay, then we got, oh. Rest of, oh, this one. This is a great one, where is it? Right here. So you are on your phone, your eyes are, are, you, are your eyes open here? And your mom's smiling, like, what, <laughs> what are we doing here? Oh, by the way, well, I, I like trying- the lipstick, the lipstick matching the dress and your mom. I like that, very good coordination. Thank you. You know, it's funny because I wasn't going to include this photo and my daughter is the one that said, oh, I love this photo. And I thought, yeah, but my eyes are closed. And she said, well, that's what makes it great. And I was like, because I look like an idiot. And she said, no, it's just, you know, it's a great shot because I'm on the phone and this is when you I'm were. talking about my mom calling okay. me and, and, you know, even though obviously this isn't a scene where she called me because she's right next to me, but I wanted yeah. to convey that that connection that we had. So you were on the phone. Who took the picture? I have Remember? no idea. Okay, this is just like They're a probably, random one you had. Yeah. Okay, and then was this the one that you really loved with the see-through glasses? Your mom was this one you talked about earlier? No, uh, it's earlier. It's um. Uh, she, it's more, yeah, that one. That's my favorite picture. That's your favorite picture. Why? She just, she, she looks, she, she looks like my mom there. She doesn't have a ton of makeup on. She looks free. She's casual. Um, it's natural flowing hair and yet she's beautiful. So for me, that's the, for, for a representation of beauty, it doesn't have to be that glamour shot, the big hair, all of that. It can be that. Um, and that's just, it, to me, that was her. Okay. Then we get to, this is the one you showed earlier, the big hair, right? Let's get there. 
Yeah. This is at I the end of her modeling her, career, right? I call, I call that her Morgan Fairchild. Morgan Fairchild. And what, <laughs> why this one? Uh, you know, I, I think because at uh, this part of the tribute, I'm talking about the burden of, uh, of motherhood, right? She, this is where I talk about the fact that she would have to explain to officers, listen, I'm just trying to keep food on the table for my kids. Yeah. And I felt like in this picture, she has a distant, far off look. She's thinking about something. And, um, you know, even though it's casual, I, I feel like there's, to me, it's a demonstration of there's something on her mind that she's looking yeah. off towards. And, and it just seemed to be the right picture for what I wanted to say. And then, okay, we got to talk about, so in the middle right here, your face. <laughs> Oh my God. Was this before or after the high heel walking and presence lessons? Uh, well, the high heel lessons were uh, throughout life because I was a tomboy as a kid. And then when I went to an all girls school, I wasn't really caring about high heels. So my high heel lessons were a continue, was a work in progress. We'll okay. say that. Um, here, what's funny is we were with my aunt and uncle, it's for Christmas, and we were supposed to get dressed up to come down for Christmas dinner, but I was in high school, and so this was just a more dressed up uniform. <laughs> so, like, I, I still clearly was thinking, well, you know, I, I live in a uniform my whole life, so I'm just going to have a nicer uniform for Christmas dinner, and my mom comes down, you know, like this wonderful Indian sari outfit. <laughs> Yeah. I've just got like a fancier uniform. It just cracks me up. I love that. I think that picture is fantastic. And then you got, and then you as a, and then was it you probably what, four or five, maybe three or four? I don't know. Yeah. Yep. When is this one? That is uh, University of Illinois. I, okay. had won an, I had won an award. I can't remember what it was. I think maybe mortarboard or something and my mom came down they had a luncheon and everything and so uh, she was there and look at i mean this is you know that would have been in the late 80s and she still was rocking it so it was just very funny i thought wow and someone told me it takes a lot of courage to put pictures up there with your mom looking like a model i was like yeah i have no vanity at this point when she came down to visit did um oh, hold on did you get, did anyone ever like, when it was it like, did you have those moments where someone's like, that's your mom? Oh, of course. I, I remember, I remember going to a fraternity party and my mom came with and, uh, which one house of the do you guys, remember? SAE. SAE. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, uh, I knew that SAE house, uh, really well, great guys. And, um, so I brought my mom with me. And one of the guys was like, so you, you said your mom's divorced. Like, is she dating? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Like, who the hell are you? I just remember laughing, laughing a lot. So again, I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm thankful I had a great relationship with my mom. So it wasn't like, you know, why is people, why are people paying attention to my mom? Not me. You know, like it was, it was just. It was fun. It was fun to just see people's reactions and and know that one she couldn't see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, per yeah, it's perfect, right? And two, I get some like really crazy comment, like, "Hey, you know, just you know, she like is she dating?" <laughs> Not you. Not you. 
There's the answer. Not you and never. And then nope. let's get to why did you end it with this one? Um, that's it's a picture I remember and I love. Um, and it was, I think, the very first composite composite shot that she had. So for models, you have to have your your composite, right? It's it's um it's essentially your head sheet, the thing you send out. So people have resumes, models have headshots, and and it's a composite shot. So she had this one as one of her first, and um it just yeah, I love Ashley. That's my sister. She's the one going cuckoo um in the picture and so she, it was she's just doing it was, cuckoo she's saying like cuckoo yeah my mom my mom was you know pointing to airplanes in the sky and uh, so okay. uh, and ashley tells me later on she's like i knew there were no airplanes in the sky like there was no airplane there i was actually thinking mom was not feeling well because <laughs> there were no planes there but she's like sure i will wave <laughs> where what uh was this northbrook you know, it, um, it was the photographer's apartment, okay. so downtown, I think actually it was um, like near Division, okay. uh, Gold Coast area, I okay. think, uh, yeah. Victor, Victor Skribneski, like a lot of photographers were in the same area in Chicago for a while, so um, it was just at the photographer's house. I love that picture. Last lesson, so we got through, so we talked about a lot of lessons we've covered i know talk about learning so we've talked okay so we cover i gotta i gotta get this right because this will be embarrassing hold on so look, look the part and then hold on um respect yourself and then finally the third lesson is beyond executive presence be present what does that mean to you well you you it, we kind of touched on it a bit when we talked about reading a room right so for her executive presence was and it's how they all tie together showing command of the room because you you have respect for yourself and you are able to present in a way that shows competence and assurance but her her comment to me was that can verge on arrogant if you aren't present in the moment there are those people who will who will use that executive presence to their advantage. They'll manipulate a situation or people. And so for her, the important lesson of that was beyond having executive presence, you need to be present so that you are, we talked about this a little bit, you are understanding where people are coming from. You are listening to them. You are engaged in how they are feeling coming to this moment, not how you present yourself. And so that's why I intentionally said beyond executive presence, that's important, but you have to be present because it's not all about you. It's about them. And um, that was invaluable. I mean, you know, as a speaker, that that's the key. That's the golden rule. It's not about you. No. you. You can come across and you need to come across as someone who's credible, who's worthy of, of being listened to but you earn their trust by being present for your audience. And um, I'm thankful because I don't know if I, if I would have been a good speaker, you know, earlier if I hadn't had that lesson, if I didn't realize it's not, it's not just how I present and how I look. I mean, I can wear a really nice snazzy dress or blazer or whatever, 
that doesn't mean a hill of beans if the person who I'm sitting across with, I'm not engaging with them, right? They, I could come across as a real jerk um, if I'm not there for them. So it would, that's why I made, I made it pointed. All three lessons connect together and they, they tie for a reason. You can't have one without the other. And that, that's what I was trying to convey with that tribute. So you, you made this tribute. You, you decided to do it entrepreneurial. You are very entrepreneurial and you focus on helping companies and individuals that are going through mergers and acquisitions. Am I saying that right? So what, are so, so what are some other lessons or some ideas? If someone hears this and they're like, wow, Jennifer, she's got this lifetime experience, all these different uh, things she's done in her life, all these business lessons. What else can someone expect when they work with you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I, really, the, the, the thing that I have been told, because um, God knows I don't, I, I would be hard pressed to know what it's like to, to work with me, but that. So far, so good here. Uh, I give you two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, and it's why actually uh, I would attribute my success both in advertising and in uh, my marketing days. And, and I'm confident it ties back to a lesson from my mom, but I have an ability to see the value in others that they don't always see in themselves. And I think that comes from being present. I pay attention to what people's strengths are and it made me a better leader because I could always figure out how to, how to create a team dynamic where each person was playing at their best. And sometimes people just need that extra encouragement. They've got a skill set and they're good at something, but they doubt themselves or they're just not sure. And it's, it's frankly, Eric, why I wrote, the, why I pivoted completely from being a chief marketing officer to what I do now. I mean, I, walked away from a really good corporate career to literally start all over again. But it's because I saw so many people who I knew were really good, but because of the merger or the acquisition and hearing whether or not, whether, you know, what they did before wasn't valued or they just, they doubted their skills because the metrics for success had changed. And they were so worried about, well, am I still valued? And I would continually say to them, absolutely, but you've got to demonstrate what that value is. The opportunity is not going to find you. You need to find the opportunity. So know what you're good at, know your value, and apply that towards the new vision where we're now going. And, and I had more than one person say to me, you're a really good leader in this, in this time. How do you know that? And I said, well, I've been through three multi-billion dollar acquisitions, you know, after a certain point, you kind of figure out what's going to happen. And I, I found that the role that I enjoyed playing most was to really help people understand what they could contribute and then how to do that. And so um, that's why I, I left um, my, my marketing career to become a consultant in mergers and acquisition, which is so far from what I ever thought I would be doing. But I wanted to bring transparency to what happened so that people would have a better um, chance at, at, at seeing what the opportunity was, understanding how to navigate it and, and not just survive, but thrive through massive business transformation.
So I, I focused on M&A, but it applies to all change, really. I mean, everyone who's read my book, the, the reviews that, um, that I got. Actually, what, it was what, the, uh, the new book or the, you have two books, right? No, the no, book? just the, well, right now it's just one book. It's the, this book, now what? There uh, we go, and product placement. Thank you. And I usually actually, I, I, I don't have it by my bedside. I did when I first wrote it, but my husband's like, okay, yeah, we got to get rid of the book. Um, but I, the, for me, what was so rewarding was how many people who've written reviews for the book have said um, that it was invaluable when, if you're dealing with leadership change. It's actually why now so much of my um, speaking engagements are around just how to lead through uncertainty, right? How to navigate uncertainty brought on by crisis. Previously, that crisis was M&A. <laughs> kind of timely, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So we can find you on jenniferjfondre.com, I believe is the website. Yes, jenniferjfondre.com. If people want to reach and out to you, what's the best way? You know, actually, LinkedIn, I'm very active on, uh, on LinkedIn. So you can reach out to me on my website for sure. But uh, I always encourage people to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. It's where, um, you know, I just, I, I highlight a lot of uh, things that I'm doing or, or speaking events that I've got, or I just put stories, my random stories I still put there. I've not yet transitioned to doing a newsletter um, only because I'm overwhelmed with newsletters myself. So I just on occasion um, like to post stories. And I think it's a nice break for most people from the, as we were joking before, the person who just tries to constantly sell you stuff on LinkedIn now. A million dollars in six weeks. Here you do. Here's the five tips. I'll just share a story. Last, last question for you before you go. I want you to take a moment. I want you to imagine this is like the, we'll say it's like the, mid to late 70s and your mother is getting an award and you are the one who gets to present her the award so you're you're you now you're time traveling back and you get to present your mother an award i'd like you to take a take a moment and what the award is and then give a short speech about your mother Oh, wow. That's a, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I gave a short speech already, but that was one side of my mom. So the award that I would have her receive um, was for her battle with Parkinson's. She got Parkinson's at a very young age. She was 50. And so the award that I would give her was for for her heroic effort in battling Parkinson's for 20 years and never letting it stop her from being present, from being in the moment, from engaging with Ashley, my sister, engaging with me, um, working as hard as she could to be part of my kids' lives um, through what can be a enormously debilitating disease. Um, you know, I've had so many people reach out to me whose parents have Parkinson's or who know someone with Parkinson's. So I wish that she was around so that I could actually give her that award because she battled that disease for 20 years and she certainly would deserve it. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. 
you know, I, I bring the fashion model version of her to life, but there's a part of me that says that's a future speech. Um, you know, how to help people who are dealing with a parent who has a disease like a Parkinson's or an Alzheimer's or a, yeah, there's a, there's a multitude of diseases that your parents can have that just is really hard as a, as a son or daughter, you know, because you see a different version of your, of your parents and, um, you know, it can be tough as a caregiver. So uh, that'll be a future speech, Eric. Well, keep the articles and speeches going. It sounds like a lot of people are reading them when we were talking about earlier. And it's, uh, I think it's awesome that you're, you're so open about sharing and your journey. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and teaching everyone and we're learning things. And we had a few laughs along the way. And uh, I really appreciate your time. It's good to see you again. I felt, I, so you know, we talked earlier, I thought I was joining the army and then it took like an extra <laughs> year and all this stuff. Been I been, yeah, but I haven't been on the club, but it's so good to see you. And I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. Thank you. It was great, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much to Jennifer J. Fondreve for joining the podcast and sharing those wonderful stories of her mom, Olivia, and the lessons she's learned. Jennifer can be found on LinkedIn, Jennifer Fondreve. I'll post a link to her. She's also on YouTube. I'll post that as well. Video is wonderful. She is such a fantastic person. I really can't thank her enough. She was so generous with her time and she really is caring. And if you are, if your company is going through some sort of situation where there is a merger and acquisition, or you just want to meet an interesting person, please reach out to Jennifer. On that note, I want to talk to you for a minute about my aunt. I don't have a lot of pictures of Aunt Lynn. She wasn't one that enjoyed the camera much. She was the cool aunt. She was the one who you could talk to and she'd kind of fill you out a little bit and then she'd say something like, well, are you dating her or, dating her or is she a whore? And you always just laughed at it. You know, she never actually meant it, but she was just funny like that. She was the, also the very fun aunt. She not only threw Mardi Gras parties every year, famous for the beads and insanely strong hurricanes. She traveled the world and she loved it. She went to Mardi Gras, I think, numerous times. She also took every niece and nephew to Las Vegas when we turned 21. My favorite story from that was, this is May of 2009. I'm a senior in college. It's probably a couple of weeks before Michael Jackson died. And that will become somewhat important in a minute. So walk in this casino, we were staying at Excalibur. So anyone who's been to Vegas knows Excalibur, it just reeks of smoke. People just pulling those machines nonstop, it's fun. And walk in and I went through like a back door and I was like, I had a great night. I think I made like 150 bucks. I think I gave like a $5 bill to the person vacuuming. I was just, that was my mood. You know, I had a bunch of drinks, didn't lose my butt. Like what a great night. And I walk in and there's one person at the video poker. My aunt, so I walk towards her. She's slowly dragging a cigarette. She looks at me and goes, don't tell your father. Those who don't know, my aunt was the older sister of my father by about 10 months. I didn't know she smoked. She probably did a lot. I think she quit for like 10, 15 years, quit maybe. And she looks at me, she's like, don't tell your father. At the time, I was way more of a bro than I am now, although I guess depending on how you feel about the podcast, you might disagree with that. 
at the time I used to, I occasionally dip tobacco and I had a tin, I had a lipper in my tin and I showed her and I said, don't tell my father. We both just burst out laughing. I sat there for about another hour, hour and a half where they're just sipping a drink, playing a little bit of video poker, talking about the night. And I just missed it. But about half an hour earlier, Joe Jackson came in to Excalibur and was like, rah, 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 taking pictures of people and just being completely insane. That was about two weeks before Michael died. So I just missed Joe Jackson. But more importantly, I got to spend that entire time with my aunt. When she got sick, I thought she'd get out. We had a phone call maybe about a month ago and she's like, Eric, I'm, I'm never getting out of this hospital. And I, I try to stay positive. I'm a pretty positive guy. I'm like, no, nah, you'll be fine. Drinks will flow. And she was she's like, I'm not getting out of here. And then I saw her before she passed. And then I saw her in that casket. And I saw the pictures. I remembered our memories together. And you know, I just felt like she was gonna she's gonna be buried. Pictures, the few we had would be lost and the memories stayed over time. My dad gave this wonderful eulogy where he talked about how they walked school all the time they talked that's one of the things that my dad and i do all the time we walk and talk now we walk the dog he always after soccer would we'd kick the i'd pass to him he'd run ahead and talk to me and then i'd pass i'd run ahead and we always talk during that it's one of the reasons i like walking meetings also meetings stink it actually stinks not as strong enough meetings suck you should always walk around get some fresh air but i love to do that and i think one of the reasons is because my dad because he did with my aunt and stories like that that help me connect the dots in my own life and i think for those of you out there that are looking for some meaning right now whether you've lost a relative a job or something something completely different taking that time to really you know find those memories and find the things that connect the dots because now when i look at my dad i can see my aunt and i know that those activities they did when they were together when i'm with him i can remember her and there's so many other things that she did she was so wonderful and talon i i love you and i will always miss you and to anyone out there who's lost a loved one or is going through a tough time right now, find a way to connect those dots because it's helped me out. And also take Jennifer's advice. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are all wonderful people. I love you all very much. And I hope you have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this. And if you do enjoy it, please subscribe. Leave comments, usually positive ones, ideally. But if you have constructive feedback, I'll take that too. Thank you again and take care. Bye.